Welcome to another edition of Down the HR Rabbit Hole, brought to you by Crescent HR and Crescent Payroll Solutions. My name is Sanders Offner, and I am the president of CPS. We are, again, very excited about our podcast today. Uh, been looking forward to this one ever since Philip told me about the special guest, who I'm, I'm personal friends with here. So we are really looking forward to some, uh, some good conversation. It's a great topic. It's very relevant. Uh, for what uh, our special guest does, and so we're expecting a lot of good conversation today. Before we do that, I first want to introduce F uh, Philip Carrillo, who is our HR advisor for Crescent HR. Welcome, Philip. How are you? Thank you very much. I am very good today, and I'm very happy to be here, as always. Well, thank you. Well, uh, Philip, would you introduce our special guest, please? I'm happy to. So today with us is a a uh, very brilliant woman whom I have met on a few occasions now and who I have had a uh, just a real excitement every time we've spoken because she has insights that make you think, that make you question your methods every single time you talk to her. Her name is Kathleen Perez, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Welcome, Kath. Yes, welcome very much. So... Uh, today, uh, the topic, you are an attorney, and so we thought, let's talk about something legal. What legal compliance looks like for businesses under 100 employees, which uh, you and I were talking about this as we were preparing. Um, business for an employer of 100 or fewer employees uh, face the same legal requirements, m more or less, as an em employer of 499 employees. So... Uh, Without further ado, um, let me ask you a question. What is being in a state of legal compliance for small businesses to you? That's a really big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> being in a state of legal compliance for small businesses obviously involves a lot of different areas of the law. Um, everyone in their businesses wants to focus on what they do, their subject matter expertise, but they can't lose sight of what it takes to stay in business, which usually involves a certain amount of uh, employment and other regulatory matters. And it really depends on what industry you're in as to how highly regulated you'll be. But I help um, companies with their employment law needs. So I help them work through uh, both setting up a business that is legally compliant for your employees in terms of policies and handbooks and um, how employers work with, hire, retain, and terminate their employees and also help them throughout the employment process with issues related to how they pay their employees, how their employees work day to day, and all those things cross over with really important cultural and HR issues. So, um, you know, it's, it's just really important to make sure that you lay that great foundation for both compliance reasons, HR reasons, and cultural reasons. Kat, you know, that you brought up a couple uh, good points there. You know, I think for our, our listeners or, or business owners or HR professionals, we, you know, we're trying to promote this proactive approach to HR, but there's obviously some real relevance in being proactive in your legal compliance, which I think a lot of businesses, unfortunately, they, especially when it comes to the legal end, it's always the reaction of, uh-oh, I have a problem, I call cat. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to introduce more proactiveness around this um, around this realm as well of what you do. So what what would you say if, if, if a business owner is listening, whether they're starting a business or they've had one for a long time, what should they, they be doing proactively 
to make sure that they're continuing to be in compliance because as you know COVID has <laughs> created this quagmire of, of, of potential legal issues that could pop up for any business at any time at this point. Right. Well, it's interesting you bring up the idea of proactive versus reactive because for about the first 15 years of my employment law practice, I spent a lot of time in litigation. So I got cases once they became real problems, once there was a charge filed or a lawsuit filed, and then I helped companies defend um, how they handled a particular matter. And now I spend a lot more time working with employers to try and figure out how to be proactive, like you bring up, how to make sure that you're doing it right. And like I said, that that's, can be hard when you're um, in the day-to-day business of, of doing what you do best, but it is really important. And so the proactive ways that em- employers can make sure that they're in compliance really start with taking a step back, um, doing perhaps an audit of, of everything, but making sure you're keeping the correct records. That's the bare minimum. And yet the law requires in so many ways that you keep those proper records. So record keeping being one of the very first and required proactive measures. Having an employment handbook, that seems very elementary, but quite frankly, there are a lot of businesses as they start or even grow that either never had an employment handbook or have an employment handbook that's incredibly out of date, that hasn't kept pace with the size and of their business or hasn't kept pace with how they actually do business. That's a real misstep I see is that people get a handbook from somewhere and then they go, go out about their business for months, years or more, and they never make sure that that um, handbook actually reflects uh, the work that they do and the policies that they have. So being proactive about things like your policies and your handbooks are of, of course important. And then doing things like auditing your positions, making sure that employees are classified correctly, the, and checking on job descriptions, making sure those are accurate. None of those things are glamorous and in fact quite tedious and perhaps boring, but all very, very important and will minimize a lot of risk in the future. To me, I think business owners at least the ones that I've probably talked to over the years, they always their, their mindset is, well, that'll probably never happen to me, so I don't have to worry about it. So, so and I'm, and I don't, I'm not going to quote you on this, Cap, but if I'm the business owner and I have that mindset and something happens to me, typically what is going to be my now my reactive cost to either be in litigation for something within my business? Tip, what am I looking at from an expense standpoint? Tenfold, fiftyfold, a hundredfold, perhaps. I mean, it might take you. It's it's always you know time on the business owner side, but it might be time on the on the business owner side, engagement of y'all services, for example, to audit, perhaps engagement of a lawyer on certain sticky issues that may cost you, you know, several thousand dollars, which seems like a lot in the moment. But there is no lawsuit that can be defended for less than. especially if you're talking about multi-employee lawsuits or or bigger picture issues. If you bring on the anger of the EEOC, the Department of Labor, or other agencies, um, the cost will be much, much more. And the headache and the disruption to your business will be tremendous. Compared to, let's sit down and work through these issues, maybe create a timeline to increase our compliance. Nobody's going to make their compliance perfect overnight and maybe it'll never be perfect but like any other piece of your business when you create a business plan you can time out issues we're going to quarterly look at certain policies we're going to annually for example do performance reviews you know if you skip all of those pieces um, it, it wouldn't be that much if you 
if you schedule it out and you, and you plan for it, but it's a lot more when you either have to fix something on the fly that's done wrong or have to react to something like a lawsuit or an agency, agency investigation. That's very interesting. For me, what I hear in that is one can avoid and avoid and avoid all day, but the best approach is to plan. And planning is, I think we've talked about this before on other podcasts, which is that it's, it's an unsavory thing to do, but you have to anticipate that there will be legal issues. Um, I often hear from business owners that I'm working with that they're shying from creating a handbook or policies. They don't want to formalize because, in their words, they don't want to get stuck in the quagmire of the rules. And they don't want their business to suffer and their, their flow of work to, to slow. And um, to me, that's a blind spot. Is there are there other blind spots? Is there anything that you think of uh, or that you've experienced that's just a universal? Every business owner has a an aversion to it that you've dealt with. What's the biggest blind spot you see with businesses? Well, I think that's a blind spot that you bring up in terms of people not wanting to sort of create rules because then they have to live by them. Yeah. A lot of time, employers want to um, they're motivated by doing the right thing, but they approach each situation individually and differently. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they might approach every hire differently or every termination differently or every performance review or pay raise, for example. Discipline. Discipline differently. And in, in the world of employment law, treating people differently is like the number one red flag mm. for claims of discrimination. For example, or even if you're thinking about performance reviews and pay raises right now, um, gender disparities in pay are huge. And so not being able to justify based off of some sort of, uh, maybe not even a formula, but some sort of practice about why you would raise your employees' pay, why you would, what are the bases for um, promotions, all those types of things. If you don't have objective basis for your decisions, you also don't have a very good way to defend them when they're questioned later. You know, my, my next question, Kat, is probably a little bit more elementary for you, but um but you've probably been answering this for the last six months. Now that we have a new administration and we have COVID on top of it, what do you see coming down the pipe the next three, four years that businesses are going to have to stay attuned to and be rel- be ready to pivot when some of these laws get passed or you know something that's completely different than what we've seen over the last four to eight years? Well, um, I'm sure everybody's aware that, that Biden has a greater emphasis on employee rights than the prior administration did. And so Biden made it very clear, both in his platform and his speeches, about uh, how he felt about pursuing employee rights, especially including things like unions and unionizing, which was a big part of his platform. But for smaller, more local businesses, it's not even the passage of new laws. It's the enforcement of the existing laws. And so, for example, the ways that the administration can show how much they are going to pursue those things is often based on budget. And the EEOC's budget, the Equal Employment Commission's budget, for this year compared to last year is even higher than the EEOC even requested. So that shows that you know, the administration is really looking to how are we going to put our dollars in the hands of these agencies who are tasked with enforcing these laws. And so there, there will be new laws, most likely. You know, one of them, you bring up what, what are the, what's likely. I mean, there, it's clearly on the agenda to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. 
um, I'll say that many states have already raised their minimum wage, some to 15, some to 12. Most of them are over a number of years. Where we are here in Louisiana, we haven't done that yet, but there, there will likely at some point be a raise in the minimum wage. There's just certainly going to be a greater emphasis on union activity. There's a, and some of this, you know, smaller businesses may not be attuned to, but questions about independent contractors and employees. These agencies are already um, on top of these issues, but with even greater uh, funding and greater emphasis on enforcement, they will be looking to pursue more enforcement actions against employers. And so, you know, we will expect an increase in those uh, enforcement actions. You know, we probably have a lot of HR professionals listening to this podcast, and I, I know a lot of them that do a fantastic job in their business are in a lot of ways scared. There's like a very thin line with what they do and where legal compliance comes into play. You know, what would be your advice to an HR professional, whether they're, you know, helping manage a small business or even a large business? What is the aha moment where they say, you know what, I should probably get at least some legal advice here versus just giving something on my own? Because ultimately, I think from what you and I were just talking about a little while ago is that that's where they can get into trouble. Is that accurate? Sure. I mean, there are HR professionals out there who are um, highly skilled in the full gamut of HR issues. And I think it's really incumbent on each HR professionals uh, to, to figure out sort of what are their areas of strength and weakness, what are the areas where they need some support. Um, for me, I get called a lot for investigations. HR professionals often don't want to handle investigations internally because there are certain conflicts within the company that depending on who the allegation is against, um, HR might not be able to do an actual neutral investigation. And so they're looking for somebody outside, somebody with a legal background to really evaluate the allegations and the claims and provide some meaningful feedback about um, what the claims are. But it really is very dependent on the, on the HR professional in terms of knowing where the red flags are and knowing when um, they might want to seek a little input. And sometimes it's a five minute call to say, hey, we have this employee who um, went out on workers comp. This was a call I got last week. And um, he's not ready to come back to work 100% and uh, we'd like to terminate him. Well, we need to have further discussions about whether or not he can return with an accommodation. We need to have further discussions about whether this could be perceived as retaliation. So. Sometimes um, the HR professional is very much in the right lane and knows what they're doing. They either need just a little bit of input or some validation to others within the organization to say, look, I've gut checked this past our employment lawyer and they believe that this is the correct answer. That's, that's to me, that's big. You know, I, I would say, but outside of that, you know, here, here's, a, here's a big question that we get asked all the time from our clients especially with the past 12 months with the, the remote workforce, is at what point you know, can I ask or force my employees to come back to work? That's, a, that's the million-dollar question. You know, so what, how, do, how do business owners prepare for that? Because, yeah, you can go to the IRS website or, or Google it, but I don't think that many of us are prepared. You know, business owners are, are looking for that information to make sure that they're making the right choices. Unfortunately, there's not a one-size-fits-all answer for things like that. I mean, a lot of it comes back to the corporate culture. A lot of it comes back to business decision-making. There is no law 
first of all, you know, the pandemic being unprecedented, there's very few laws that really speak to this. But there's also no law that tells every employer how they have to run their business in general. And so when it comes to things like return to work, it's a combination. I mean, for me, it's a partnership between what are the legal aspects that are implicated, what are the cultural aspects of your company, and what are the business and operational needs. So for example, from a legal perspective, you may have to consider employees being allowed a reasonable accommodation if they have a disability that might put them at higher risk for a bad COVID outcome. But you also have to consider the essential functions of the job and whether there are alternative effective accommodations. But layered on top of that, there's the business judgment question of, is this person already working from home and doing a great job? And am I happy with that? And can I allow them to keep working from home? Would I like to allow others to keep working from home who are also performing? Or business and operationally, are we seeing that people really need to be back? We have a need to get back to a normal or a new normal. But COVID's changed everything. And both large and small employers are completely rethinking their businesses including real estate. What is our office going to look like? Are we going to reduce the number of office spaces? Are we going to eliminate specific offices for specific people and just hold a space for the days when people do come into the office for people to quote unquote hot desk or hoteling their office space and they'll just come in one or two days a week. So there's the legal compliance piece, there's a cultural piece, and there's the business and operations piece to really consider when it comes to a lot of this return to work stuff. That is uh, very comprehensive <laughs> and very, very, very appreciated. And it, what, what that really does is underscore the, the, the great onus that there is on every business owner really to, um, to be aware of all of the legal uh, strictures around uh, being an employer. And it's not easy. And that's why I think that, that there is a niche for people like us <laughs> who do this advisory for uh, folks in uh, these, um, these dilemmas that they tend to find themselves in. Well, so for me, I'm always curious when, when I'm sitting in front of a, uh, a business owner, a leader at a, at a business, an HR manager, director, um, how, wh what is the outcome of, of things? So say that we're doing everything right in a perfect world, what does that really look like? If, if a business is doing everything they can, they're complying, they've done all the trainings, they've got all the records, they've got all the documentation they need, they are consistent as much as possible, what does that look like? Unfortunately, there's no gold star for you know A-plus compliance. At the end of the day, you can have the perfect handbook, the perfect culture, um, the perfect record keeping, all of it. and and employment risk and liability is really just a cost of doing business. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the benefit to doing it all right is your ability to defend yourself when something happens. And so you know, doing it all right is never a 100% safeguard that something's not gonna go wrong. I think that's life, right? You're not guaranteeing um, anything. There's, there is nev well, there's never a guarantee, you know, especially with employee issues, lots of things can happen. But um, at the end of the day, the best you can do, HR professionals know, document, 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 mm -hmm. get it all right up front, you know, have the right policies, have um, communication, communicated to your employees the things that you expect, do the performance reviews, um, try to do each aspect right. You may not ultimately avoid a charge or litigation or an investigation, but when that investigator knocks at your door, 
you're going to be real excited because you've got that file and you've got it all and you feel confident about your ability to meet that challenge, whether it's um, you know an agency investigation or a charge or a lawsuit, whatever it is, you will feel much more confident. And I, as your employment lawyer, will be much more appreciative and will <laughs> do a better job for you if you give me the tools to do that good job, that documentation, and all those compliance issues. If, if you do all that right, it will help you in the end. It may not avoid the issue, but it will help you overcome it. So, Kat, you know, we, we, we're probably going to wrap up the podcast here in a minute, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to, um, to plug your business and what you're doing now. You know, we, we, um, for those of you who don't know Kat Perez or Kathleen Perez, she is a, a native New Orleanian. She, was a, uh, she finished at Tulane Law School, magna cum laude, uh, and also the Order of the Coif, which I learned today is you basically finish in the top 10% of your, of your class which uh, I've, I've never saw that in any of my classes that I ever took. Uh, but that's, that's amazing. So her husband is also an attorney, and they've got uh, two great children. You know, so, uh, Kat, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag on you a little bit because um, as long as I've known you, you do a fantastic job um, in representing yourself and your family. Um, you had a great career at Baker Donaldson before starting your own um, advisory practice. Uh, some of the things that Kat does in her, her consulting practice, uh, she works with businesses regarding leadership, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is a, a big topic in today's world, and implicit bias. But I'd like to give you the opportunity to tell the listeners what else you're doing as a, as a part of your consulting practice that you believe is really helping businesses in the greater New Orleans area. Sure. Thanks for that opportunity. Um, I've really forged my own path in leaving my, what I'll call, big law firm and starting my own very small law firm. The most wonderful part about it is that I can do uh, what I want, take on the clients that I want every day and have deliver greater client service and really enjoy the work that I do every single day. And so I have a hybrid practice that involves employment law, advices, um, employment contracts, non-competes, policies, handbooks, all the things that we've talked about today in terms of helping people proactively work on their business in terms of, of legal issues and also reactive in terms of dealing with employees' complaints, EEOC charges, Department of Labor investigations, and I do a lot of um, internal corporate investigations to help um, peel back the layers on certain internal complaints. And then in my consulting practice, like you mentioned, I've spent a lot of time talking about leadership and DEI issues. I started learning about implicit bias about 10 years ago and was fascinated about it, became an implicit bias trainer, and have um, spent a lot of years researching unconscious bias and implicit bias in various um, different industries. And it's, it's really where the law is going. The law is not there yet. There's nothing that um, prohibits employers when it comes to these sort of more nuanced or unconscious biases, which we're going to spend a little time talking about in another podcast. But, um, you know, the world is moving in a direction where we're, we're, we're learning more and we're noticing more in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it dovetails really nicely with employment law. And so I've really enjoyed being able to take a deeper dive with that and help clients with training and develop strategies for their, for their DEI efforts. So um, it's been a lot of fun being on my own for about a year. And um, I'm looking forward to what the future brings. Well, congratulations. Thank you. So uh, we are going to wrap up the podcast for today, but I do want to announce, um, number one, Kat is going to come back uh, for uh, another podcast, I think, later in June. And that topic is going to be around implicit bias, I believe. So we, we, we certainly are looking forward to that. 
But we are also, for those of you who are listening, uh, June 23rd, we are going to be hosting our first Lunch and Learn, uh, which is something that's going to be new here at, at CPS with our big training room. And we are going to have Kat as a part of that Lunch and Learn, and the topic is going to be fantastic and very relevant. And that topic is going to be um, when and how employers should respond to employee complaints. So if you're listening, be on the lookout for um, uh, some type of invite that we're going to push out to our customer base and, uh, and some of our partners because that's going to be very fun, very entertaining. Uh, unfortunately, we're only going to be able to have probably 25 to 30 folks attend, so spots will be limited. So if you're lucky, you'll, be, you'll have a, a place in the room. So thanks again, Kat, for, for doing this. We appreciate your time. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. So uh, that's going to wrap up today's podcast. We appreciate everyone that is listening, and we will see you at our next one. Take care. Thank you.